Question. How do you build a workshop for engagement? What comes to mind when you think of a great workshop? What are the deliverables, the outcomes? How do you go about co-creating a workshop that people want and are willing to pay for? What is a workshop from the perspective of an experience, not just some kind of training? My guest this week is Rachel Davis, a workshop experience designer and, as she describes herself, facilitator extraordinaire based in the U.S., And Rachel has over 18 years' experience in design thinking, creative strategy, facilitation design, workshop design. And she's really, as you'll hear, super passionate about injecting joy, energy, interactivity into workshops. And what we're going to talk about today are a number of things. First of all, we're going to talk about what that really means. How do you build a workshop for engagement What about the desired outcomes? How do you co-create this with your stakeholders, with the person who is your sponsor or your client effectively? And then how do you think of workshops, not just as something in the room on the day, but a whole experience, a full experience as Rachel describes this. This is the Training Business Podcast. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Hey, welcome to the show. This is the Training Business Podcast. It's the weekly show for self-employed consultants, trainers, coaches, people like you and me all around the world. And we have listeners all around the world. And the focus of this show every single week is on the business of making money from your programs, your workshops, your keynotes or courses or anything else that's intellectual property that can be packaged, priced and promoted to make you money. And that's being quite honest. We do this because we love what we do, but we also do it because it makes a living for us. And I've been self-employed, unemployed, and I've worked for the people, for myself, And right now I'm building a business with my business partner and we help organizations around the world with sales coaching. That's just my my thing. But why do I say that? Because I've made loads of mistakes and over the years I've had so much fun and derived so much benefit from listening to people as guests on the show. Wherever they are on this journey, I've had authors, LinkedIn instructors, some celebrities, and it's amazing what I can learn, you can learn, by listening to these episodes. The episodes appear on your podcast platform of choice every single Thursday without fail. So please click on follow or subscribe to be notified of great episodes as they come out. It costs absolutely nothing and takes only a couple of seconds. Hi, Rachel. Welcome to the show. I am so happy to be here. We met about a week ago. In fact, we're talking about, so we're talking about collaboration on a project. And I was really intrigued by your background. You're a workshop experience designer and a facilitator based in the US. And people often think about workshop or a workshop as a commercial product, but you think about this as an experience. And I think that's a very important part um, or thing to draw on, which is, is the creativity that we can leverage in the environment. We're going to cover a couple of things today in the show. And um, the first thing is going to be about your background. I'd love to know about your brand, uh, perhaps how you got to where you are today, 
And we'll then talk about, let's call it the main topic, which is intentionally building workshops for engagement. And beneath that, then you've helpfully got some subtopics, including thinking about desired outcomes, the how-to method. I'm keen to hear what that is. And finally, looking at workshops as a full experience. So let's start with you, first of all, Rachel, where are you based? What's your brand and who needs what you do? Well, I'm in San Antonio, Texas right now. I'm, I'm originally from Baltimore. I miss Baltimore very much. That was, uh, was such a thriving design and tech community. Um, now I get that globally, right, with all of the virtual experiences going on. Um, I have a, a very unicorn-like background, I would say, in terms of all the different things that I've done. And I've recently started leaning more into workshop design and facilitation because that's really a passion of mine. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, what I try to bring to people is anywhere from working one-on-one with people through facilitation coaching to actually bringing facilitation practice into organizations and companies, right? People don't really think about it a, a lot. If you went onto LinkedIn right now and you tried to search for the job facilitator, a lot of times you get things like mediator or you know trainer, which isn't a bad thing, trainer, but now there's this mindset shift from a trainer to a facilitator and how do you bring more engagement, especially in a virtual environment. So mm-hmm. it's kind of newish, I would say, in the industry, even though the skill set has been around for a long time. Okay. So, uh, I, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I always am intrigued as to how people got to where they are today. What was your journey to becoming an expert in your chosen domain? Well, I have a background in uh, graphic design, UX strategy, um, communications. Every job that I've been in for kind of for the first decade of my career, I really made my own position, right? People didn't know what to do with me. I was a communications person. I helped with internal communications. I helped with writing proposals. I helped with anything that had to do with communication. And I started to kind of understand what I liked do best. Um, one position I actually held was with um, a university where I helped the academic researchers pitch their research to get more funding so that they didn't start with things like, I had a sample size of X, right? It's actually storytell and bring that narrative. And, and part of that was me helping them build some engagement or interaction into it so they're not just death by PowerPoint presentations. And I think that was really my first aha moment where I was like, ah, oh, yes, I, this interaction and, and getting people involved is really what I want to do. And it took me another decade after that to actually start to lean into it more. Um, and over the past couple of years, I've worked um, with design agencies, actually held a position as a director of communications for a nonprofit, right? So kind of getting that cross-pollination of different industries helped me understand that there's a thread throughout them in terms of engagement and joy and energy it should be present in all of them in these immersive experiences. So I like the word experience. You've used that several times. And you've said, I'm reading something you've written here. Overall, my purpose is to bring joy and energy to interactive experiences. So if I could, let's drill down to that for a second. When you intentionally build workshops for engagement, how do you bring joy and energy and make them interactive? Big question, I know. Well, it is a big question. It's a lot of what I I actually have in my topic that we could talk about here. But bringing joy and energy, the first step to that is the understanding that that's okay to do at work. 
right? That that is the first step to it, right? It's not work then play, right? How do you bring that into it and bring that joy and that curiosity and that wonder into it because it's going to make the work better, right? It's it's not this. It's not one or the other. And there's this quote by Gary Ware, who wrote this book that I absolutely love, Playful Rebellion. And a quote that he has is, childlike is not childish, right? So it's about bringing that that curiosity and wonder. And that doesn't mean it's juvenile or childish, right? And, And I think a lot of people conflate the two ideas. And just because of that, don't even approach it. Yeah. And when I think of, for example, Lego series play, I've had people resist that and said, and say to me, well, hang on a sec, you want to introduce Lego into a workshop, into a thing on, we're here trying to strategize about our direction or our sales planning, and you're using Lego. So how do people then know that the border or the the separating line between playful, but not, or not too childish? It's a tricky one, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, in my mind, there is no separating line. It's okay. just a continuum, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's, you have to align it to the personalities in the room, right? So as a experienced designer, right, it's not just taking a specific framework and applying that framework to every group that you're working with, right? You need to customize and design and intentionally design workshops um, and workshop experiences around the people that you're working with. One of those first steps is getting to know who's in the room or a sense for the participants. Um, are you doing some sort of pre-workshop, get to know each other? Are you doing one-on-ones with them? Are you understanding what's going to resonate with them most? Are you getting to know them as humans and not numbers in the room so that you could say, oh, I know this person is an expert in this area. I'm going to call on them or say, you know, I know that you really like urban gardening. Think about this as a garden, right? Like there's, you know, there might be ways to connect with people at that level and bring the, just bring their humanity back into work. Mm -hmm. So when you say thinking about desired outcomes, what for you is a typical outcome of a really productive, joyous, interactive, energetic workshop? Well, I'm going to push back on you there because I don't think there is ever a typical outcome. And I think that's the point, right? I think the outcomes need to fit the situations, right? And I think Mm -hmm. the first step to that is co-creation and asking the right questions. So um, let's say you're working with a client. So let's take it from the perspective of of a consultant Mm -hmm. or um, a, a trainer, someone who has taken on a client that wants a workshop. And they say... My goal is to build a Batmobile. And they say, I want a workshop around building a Batmobile, right? I like to use this method that I call the how-to method, where you take that goal and then you break it into how-to statements. So let's say you're thinking about the Batmobile, and that is a huge question to to chew off, right? You know, to take a bite out of, especially in like, let's say you have a three-hour workshop, right? So if you think about that, right, it might be, how to use user feedback on the current Batmobile to influence the new features or um, how to understand the pain points of the current Batmobile or um, how to lean into the things that are really already working with the Batmobile, right? So break it out into those those more bite-sized pieces. And that will help you be like, okay, we can handle one of these how-to statements. We could, you know, Let's say we can handle three of them in a workshop. And it'll help you align 
the interactive interactive activities to what you're trying to get as an outcome, right? And so let's say you've looked at those how-to questions and you're like, okay, from this, my desired outcome from my first workshop experience is to understand the problem and the pain points uh, so that when we go into our next workshop experience, we can start to design features, right? Mm -hmm. So that desired outcome, I think, really comes from breaking down and framing the problem correctly before you head into a workshop. Now, you might have a workshop to frame the problem, right? You might say, here's the goal, and this is the activity. We're doing the how-to activity in the workshop to frame the problem and co-create our workshop experiences. Uh, So it's really... It's really about looking at it from different perspectives and not just saying, okay, my client told me this is the goal. How do I, you know, cherry pick exercises I think are engaging to answer this, right? Because it's not, it's not gonna, it's not gonna be engaging because people aren't gonna have the structure that they need and the direction that they need. Okay. And then you mentioned the how-to method. What is that and what role does that play? So that, that's actually what I just explained with the taking that Batmobile statement and breaking okay. it down into how-to statements. Um, with you. And Got so, it. yeah. And so I love that one. And I've, t- I've taught that method to people. Like, this is the way you should start your, your workshops, right? Before just taking that goal at face value and saying, okay, you told me that's what the goal is. That's what the goal is, right? You know, it's like listening to users for a tool. Like, um, you have to get diverse perspectives on it. And also you are not your user, right? So breaking that down into how-to statements by yourself, right, is not always the right approach. You want to co-create that with people. What you've just said there actually is stuck in my mind, which is diverse perspectives. When you, in my experience, sometimes I find I'm talking to one person, I get one perspective, but actually there are there is a need or reason to include other perspectives, but it's not immediately obvious. How do you go about, as a workshop designer, ensuring mm-hmm. you're speaking to the right people who have a stake in the outcome of this workshop? Sure. Um, that, to me, is part of co-creation with um, with a client or if I'm doing it for a group, right? I, I ask the questions about, you know, who are who's part of your team? Who is direct, indirect? outside of that, like we kind of map it out, who's part of that and who's outside of that, who is, um, who depends on you for things and what do they depend on you for and why do they depend on you for that, right? They might not be part of your team, right? And one of the biggest things is you might want to bring in some champion users or champion um, team members, people who are not necessarily in your direct um, group, but they might be a customer of yours. They might be, it really depends on the topic of the workshop, right? So let's go back to our Batmobile example, right? You might bring in, uh, let's say you bring in the sidekick, you bring in Robin because you want to know what it's like to be a passenger in the Batmobile, right? Or you might bring in Batman, or you might bring in um, a group of pedestrians that got mowed over by the Batmobile to see their perspective on the Batmobile, right? So it's really what, and that's based on your how-to question. What are you really trying to figure out and who is going to have that perspective on it that you need? And sometimes that's really hard for teams to bring in people who are not part of their team, let's say to a workshop. And so that's why breaking down those how-to statements is really important because you could have a workshop that's focused 
very focused where you you could have that point of view. And then a follow-up experience to that could be taking what you heard from those champion users and using that in a follow-up workshop, right? So what's, if, what's a champion so user? Let's clarify that for a second. So a, cha- a champion user would be a, like a power user, right? You're mm-hmm. calling them a champion because they're coming into, um, they're being more involved in the, if you ask them to come in and they're representing other people. Um, I, a, a lot of different um, organizations call them champion users. You could call them power users. You could call them super users, like people who have used the product a lot, or um, if it's not a product, people who use your service, or um, you know, there could be different levels of it. People who are candidates to use your service but haven't yet, right? So that you get the different uh, perspectives of people. So there could be an influencer, some kind of advocate, uh-huh. some kind of sponsor. For example, mm-hmm. ambassador, um, ambassador, you know, people right. who have in, interacted with you before. Um, it really depends. The the again, it depends on your out, desired outcome of that workshop, the type of people that you would want in there. And usually, when I work with clients, I will give them a suggestion. Here's a suggestion for the types of participants that you should have in the room, based on what we talked about and what the agenda is. Good, I like that. Yeah, because mm-hmm. they they may not know who needs to be in on this or who oh, needs. Most to of the times, they don't. Right. Most of the times they don't know. And, you know, that's why they bring in um, people like us, you know, facilitators, trainers, because they they don't know and that they're really looking for that guidance. But they're also looking to be involved a lot of the time. Right. And at least the, the clients that I take on, I want to take on people who want to collaborate and want to be involved and want to help with that. Right. So you're not doing all the work. You, you want them to step up and co-create and uh, involve and suggest and uh, co-design. Yes. When we think I think of, it's a shared um, responsibility is what it is. For yeah, the that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Why? Because mm-hmm. you want people to own that outcome and, and uh, evangelize it and, and uh, take responsibility for its success. When it comes to tools, I mean, obviously these days we use all kinds of tools to, to co-create things. How often do you find yourself on site these days in a room with your clients? on a whiteboard actually, or is it all remote? Um, actually a lot more in person lately. Really? Um, mm-hmm. I've been traveling for offsites and um, other types of workshops. Um, so, you know, that's becoming more and more as we move forward. Um, I would say if I had to mm-hmm. kind of weight it, 70% of what I do right now is virtual, about 30% of it's in person. Um, and I like the in-person part. I mean, I like both of them and I've gotten really good at the, the virtual part. Um, I think in person, depending on uh, where the team is located, what they're, again, what they want to do, is it a team building thing, which can be done virtually, right? Um, you know, really what do they want and what do they want to get out of it? Um, I've done hybrid ones before. It is not my favorite to do, but there is tips to doing hybrid, you know, being able to, um, if you're doing breakouts, making sure you have mobile devices like an iPad or something to have people taken to the group that they're part of if they're uh, virtual, right? There's a lot of different uh, ways that you have to figure out the technology and how that works. And you absolutely have to have a co-facilitator in those situations, um, probably a tech co-facilitator, someone who could kind of tech produce for a hybrid event. Right. So we're still focusing on, on designing and, and co-creation. Mm-hmm. Uh, are there other methodologies that you use to enlist someone's creativity in designing a workshop that's for them? You mentioned the how-to method. Anything mm-hmm. else come to mind that uh, you found successful? Yeah. 
Yeah, um, I love this framework that I actually first heard about on IDOU's Creative Confidence podcast, and actually the book Creative Confidence. So, one more time, what is that framework? Just Um, so I, it's a framework that I first heard on IDOU. Um, They have a podcast called Creative Confidence, and they they had some people on talking about designing events, and there was an an event experience framework that they use, Um, and it started with what do you want this experience to be? How do you want people to feel, right? It started with all those setting the stage things and opening moments. Um, how do you um, make people feel like they're included? How do you, you know, inject energy into the experience? And it goes all the way from opening moments through to closing moments. So how are you going to get people excited up front? Then how are you going to keep energy up throughout the session, right? How are you going to keep that energy up? Um, who's in the room is part of it. And what are their relationships to each other is part of this framework, right? To look at, do they already know each other? Are they just meeting each other for the first time? And that's going to help you pick the activities that you design the experience around, right? You can't just get, get a one-liner and say, okay, we're going to do a workshop for 10 people and you just start building. Like that's just jumping in blindfolded. So you need to know the things about the people who's in the room. Do they know each other? Have they met each other before? How many times? Are, are they a team that's worked together for years? Do we need to do introductions? Do they know each other's names, right? Like there, there's a lot that goes into preparing a full experience. So even if someone says, oh, we need to have a brainstorming session, right? It is not a just a one-time event, right? Like it... it it is not a one activity event, let's say that, right? Because a brainstorming session could include um, free work. It could include the invitation. It includes a welcome video. And then when you get in the room, it could in- include a creativity warm up to get the brains warmed up in order to actually do the brainstorming exercise. It could include a wrap up. And my favorite thing actually to remind people is to keep momentum and do a playback from a workshop. A playback. And you, okay, <laughs> a what's playback. a playback? So you've seen my notions that I've, yeah. I've sent you. So I use Notion um, yeah. for all my playbacks. And what the playback does, it says, okay, why were we there? Here's our agenda, even if it pivoted, right? Here's what we were there to do. And here's what we observed and learned, right? Um, this isn't a strategy document. It isn't taking things and transforming them from what we actually observed in the workshop. It is a playback of what we observed so that people can say, okay, I heard that too, or I didn't really hear that, or I, I heard something additional, right? They can add comments on there as a group, right? Um, he, mm. Here's where you would put the recording of your workshop all in this document. Um, I use butter, so I like to pull gifts from our uh, workshop and actually use that in the document to kind of keep people excited even after the workshop, right? And then I always like to do um, a next steps section. What happens next? Are we going into another workshop? Are you taking this back to your teams? Here's some actionable things to use what we learned or use our insights. Um, You know, and this is where your desired outcome really comes back into play. If your desired outcome was mostly learning and being able to apply those things afterwards, then you're going to know what your next steps are. If your desired outcome was to create um, input for another workshop, then you know what your next steps were going to be. If your desired outcome was, let's say, roadmap planning and your next steps are actually to do those tasks or (laughs) put them into some sort of project uh, management planning tool, right? It really depends on what 
that desired outcome was. So it sounds like we're not just designing the experience, we're designing the journey. We're keeping in mind how we're going to begin, Mm -hmm. what all the touch points are that people are having, the emails beforehand, maybe some kind of loom video, some kind of thing to fill in, a commitment document. Then when they get in the room, how we warm them up, how we get them thinking, reflecting, uh, give them some exercise, the whole thing, that panoply, to use a big word, from beginning to end, that's the full experience of the workshop. That is the full experience of the workshop. And how are you going to immerse people in that? How are they going to feel like they're immersed in that workshop? And like, that is what they are focused on. Get them excited about it. Like, um, you know, your first touch point, like you talked about an email and invitation, even before the invitation, you know, weddings have saved the date, right? Even before the invitation, you know, mm. bringing in concepts from events, right? Like get excited about this. Um, if it's like, let's say it's like a team or something, maybe you do a little teaser around, a, you know, not a, not a lot of people are in person anymore, but you know, like posters up on there or a little uh, intranet teaser if they're um, virtual, but like, you know, something big is coming, like, like get them excited, right? Yeah. <laughs> That makes sense. And I, I think when people can make the program land well with their audience before it happens, it's going to take off to use a kind of an aircraft methodology. So it, it isn't enough just to have people experience you in the day. You've got to think of the whole continuum from what have I just heard about this? Why should I engage? What What's this about? What mm-hmm. will I get? And here's what I can look forward to. And I saw this one time done visually. Someone had created this like a there's a game over here in Europe we call Snakes and Ladders. I'm not sure if you know that one, where it's literally this curvy long uh, mm-hmm. snake. Uh, and on the road, we can see what the managers are doing, what the participants in the room are doing. When people see this visual document, oh my goodness, there's all of these things to look forward to. It's it's really exciting, isn't it? You've, yeah. you've got the experience in there and it becomes something that they can well anticipate and, and uh, feel good about. It's not just... What will happen in the room? It's look at all these things I'm doing before the event. Mm-hmm. The other thing I'm thinking here is that when you, as a producer, then or a, a let's call you a salesperson, when you sell this experience to your prospective clients, I guess you can put a bigger price tag on this, can't you? So um, I don't like to think of myself as a salesperson. I know you; it, it's part of big business, but um, you know, I like mm-hmm. to um, I, I like to think of it as me getting them excited. For the experience, okay. right? And so, you know, as we're talking about it and giving them, you know, just a little glimpse into how they can make that excited and getting them excited about it brings mm-hmm. me back to kind of my purpose of joy and energy, right? Um, in terms of pricing, like that's di- that's different for everyone. I I feel right. Like there's mm-hmm. so many things that go into my pricing in terms of, um, you know, my level of experience. Um, it, the complexity of the workshop with the client, how, how much is going into it? Is there travel involved? Are, mm. are we creating materials from scratch? Right. And so it's really customized what I do that when I price. Um, and I always like mm. to um, do more project and value pricing as opposed to hourly. I'm not, you know, trading time for yeah, money, especially in workshopping is not, it's not beneficial for you as a business owner, right? It's, you know, because the only way you can make more money is to spend more time when you trade time for money or to raise your hourly rate, but then you're still trading uh, time for money. And I, I think it's about the experience overall. And that's what you're, you're paying for. So I actually never call my quotes quotes and I call them investments. 
and because people are investing in this experience, right? Because it's not going to end once it's done. They're investing in something that's going to continue to spur ideas and, you know, or their participants learn something that they're going to continue to use, right? Or they're going to use it to, to spin off another workshop. It's an investment. And, and so yeah. that's really how I approach it. And that resonates as well. I'll tell you why. For people listening to this, they're thinking, okay, well, if I do all these things, add in these touch points, um, what's the the payback? And mm-hmm. I've had people say to me, when I can put all of these things on a document for someone, a client, they get really excited because they don't just think of what their delegates, let's say it's someone from HR, what their delegates get in the room. They're thinking of all these value adds before uh, coming up mm-hmm. to on the day of and after to sustain. And I know that when I've priced those things up, people have less of a problem with them because they're thinking, I'm not just getting training. My people yes. won't just get some 60 minutes. They're going to get videos. They're going to get a, a cheat sheet. They're going to get a PDF guide. They're going to get a video series. Yeah. Oh my God. Now I can see why this is worth paying 3X or 4X for. Yeah. So if you're thinking of how do I justify my price tag of 10,000 or whatever it is, Mm-hmm. This is the thing. It's it's as you're saying, Rachel. It's thinking of this mm-hmm. as a as a full experience, not just a thing on the day in a room. There's more to it than that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the way that I write my proposals, actually, and I, I have a pretty set framework that I've done for it. And I have phases, right? And under each phase, I talk about okay, what are the outcomes of this phase, and then what are the deliverables? Because outcomes and deliverables are not the same thing to me. I'm and glad so I you can said that. Yeah. Tact- <laughs> yeah. I'm, 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 I can list tactical, um, you know, tactile deliverables there. You're going to get a recording of our kickoff call. You're going to get, um, you know, a draft agenda, right? The, and I actually include things like kickoff and all the pre-workshop planning in my proposal. So they can see all the things that they're getting beforehand, all the things that they're getting during, and then all the things that they're getting afterwards. Um, and laying it out like that has been really useful, I think, to showing what you're getting. And also outputs are different than outcomes, right? That doesn't mean you don't need both or you can't have both, but they are they are different. And to be able to articulate that to your potential clients, I think really helps them, again, justify the investment. Okay. So quick question before we wrap up here, what is yeah. the difference between an outcome and a deliverable in case anyone's wondering? What's sure. your definition? Um, so my definition of a deliverable is a... Uh, tactile thing that they have in their hands, like a recording, like the playback document, like, um, you, you know, a cheat sheet, you said, you know, at like a, um, a takeaway document, a PDF, um, a video, those to me are deliverables. An outcome is an understanding or clarity around something, a strategy around something, um, uh, something that doesn't feel as tactile to them, uh, but is is the ultimate goal. So go back to the out- desired outcome of the workshop, right? Mm-hmm. So if our desired outcome is to uh, understand... Let's think of yeah, leadership, for example. Spray- what was that? I'm sorry. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's think of leadership as an outcome, some kind of leadership competency. Yes. Um, they, they have um, improved their power skills of facilitation. They have... In- enhanced um, uh, leaders in the room so that they can take these concepts mm. back to th- their teams, right? Yeah. What what are they, what is that value added that they're getting that's not necessarily a document or a recording or, or something like that? 
Okay, that's very helpful. So the last question then, before I ask you to share your details with us, um, what if, because it happens to all of us, some point someone cherry picks and says, yeah, I'm not sure we need those recordings. Can we take that price off? What if we, someone says we don't need those PDFs, mm-hmm. those guides? We take that off. I How don't, do you justify yeah. the price? So I don't line item my proposals. It is a okay. project cost. And I say, this is what in- is included to give you the experience that I provide. Right. Um, right. Right. Part, you know, part of how I do my meet and greet calls is I understand if I'm within someone's budget, and so that when we get to that proposal phase, right, uh, it's more of a we're creating what we're going to do together, not necessarily negotiating on on the price per se. Um, I, mm. I, I get try to get a feel for that before I even spend time. In, in that proposal phase. And my proposals aren't long. They aren't more than two pages, right? It's very quick, clear. You know, people get a lot of sense from me from, let's say, my Bento page or my LinkedIn page of how I work. I have videos of myself, right? Um, and a lot of times people come to me because they know how I work and and they're kind of already interested in that. Um, a lot of it's word of mouth. Um, but I don't do the cherry picking. Coming from the environment that I, I was in where, you know, I used to... Res- as an employee, used to respond to very detailed RFPs and having to do everything line by line and spreadsheets and all that kind of stuff. Um, and experience is all those touch points. Now we may change and massage and move around those touch points as, as we start to co-create together. But in order to get the experience that you're asking for, this is what's involved. Got it. Okay. So the last thing I will share with the audience is um, a couple of links you've shared with me. And I want to um, share them with the people listening. First of all, you've got a Bento page, and I had not heard of that till you told me about this, Rach, uh, bento.me forward slash Rach Davis. Um, and you've got, it's almost like a mini CV. You've got your LinkedIn profile. You've got your Medium uh, link where you, I guess, share posts. You've got your mm-hmm. podcasts where you can find be found, your playground. Um, that's a really clever idea, showing people all the tools you use and uh, templates and so on. What's the purpose? What's the benefit to you as a business owner now in sharing this kind of stuff with your clients? Sure. Um, you know, as an employee, when you share your you share your resume um, with potential jobs that you're applying for, right? That is not that is not how I work. Resume is not playful to me. That does not bring energy. Um, I think of Bento as my visual resume, basically, especially as a consultant. It's very visual. I can put videos up there. I can put um, things that I design up there. Um, It's got my manual of me on it, which is very important to me because that is a manual of how I work best. So that if you know that you want to come work with me, you know that Slack is my favorite thing to use. And I really despise email, right? If you're a person who lives in email, we might not work together well, right? <laughs> so so, so these are things where people can get to know me. And it's not as um, corporate, let's say, as LinkedIn, which I use LinkedIn a lot. It's my main social channel. But this kind of gives you a holistic view and experience, if you will, of Rachel. Yeah. <laughs> it's a fantastic idea. Yeah. You're... Um preferred tools, uh, people can mm-hmm. see you in action, your workshop recordings, uh, YouTube mm-hmm. links, resources, Notion, uh, facilitators, treat yourself tools list. I love this stuff. Mm-hmm. And if you've not yet used Notion and are listening to this, it's it's a fantastic tool. I think uh, Rachel and I are both evangelical about this. And uh, <laughs> everything I do, SOP-wise, uh, planning-wise, checklist-wise, lives in Notion, N-O-T-I-O-N dot... N-O-S-O, what is it? 
Um, I think it's Esso. Is it Esso? Yeah, I think it's an ocean dot. So mm-hmm. yeah, cool. W- wonderful. It's been so much fun talking to you, Rach. Where can people find out more about you? We mentioned your bento well, page. I, I think my bento page is really, because that has a link to everything. You can get to my LinkedIn yeah. from there. Um, you know, my website is uh, rachdavis.com. Um, which is it's brand spanking new. Just I think this is the first podcast I'm mentioning it on. Uh, so you know, you, unique content for you. There you go. First podcast that I'm mentioning it on, um, and I'll be growing that page a bit more as I continue to build uh, my personal brand out. Okay, so that's bento.me forward slash rach r a c h davis d a v i s, and your mm-hmm. LinkedIn profile linkedin.com forward slash in rach davis. And we'll provide Mm -hmm. all links in the show notes to this week's episode. Rach, thank you so much for being my guest on the show. I'm so happy to be here. And I'm so glad you asked me to be. And I feel like I've known you for more than a week. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Rach. Huge thanks to my guest this week, Rachel Davis, and thanks to you for listening to our chat today on the show. You can find out more about Rachel by visiting her Bento page, and the address is Bento, B-E-N-T-O. Let me refresh that link on my page. It's bento.me forward slash Rach Davis, B-E-N-T-O dot M-E forward slash Rach Davis. And on Rachel's page, you'll find her LinkedIn profile link, Medium, articles she's written, her manual of me, which is how you can work with her, and then her playground, some templates she finds useful, podcasts that she finds valuable, and also her virtual workshop recordings. And that's it. It's been a fantastic episode. Please come back again next week. The episode and all the links will, of course, be available over on the episode page for this week's episode. The address, again, is simply www.trainingbusiness.com. One more time, www.trainingbusiness.com. Fresh episode again next Thursday. Please click on follow or subscribe. Takes a couple of seconds, costs absolutely nothing and guarantees you'll be notified of fresh episodes as they come out. Until next Thursday, look after yourself. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. Thanks once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. See you next time.